You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to the Chris and Nick Show here on Big Blue View Radio. I am one of the hosts, Nick Filato, joined by Chris Flum, and we're going to be breaking down the edge rushers in the 2022 NFL Draft. Chris, realistically, there could be three or four edges that are selected right at the top of the draft. It's a pretty loaded edge class, and I'm excited to get into it with you. Yeah, this is honestly kind of a ridiculously good edge class, which is a thing that's been that's a thing we've been saying about a bunch of bunch of these position groups we're previewing. But it's really true in this edge class. I think you could probably go about 10 deep and have guys who have a realistic chance of starting. Absolutely realistic chance of starting a lot of guys who could be third down specialists, pass rushing specialists who can be developed into a more complete player later on in their career. And when you look at these guys, a lot of them, they win differently. You know, it's not like they're all the same type of players. I mean, right now the conversation is who's going to be the first overall pick to the Jacksonville Jaguars. It's going to be Aiden Hutchinson, a high floor player who I feel like still has a high ceiling and is a great athlete in his own right. But Trayvon Walker out of Georgia is really kind of gaining a lot of buzz right now because of his pure athletic ability and just the raw nature of him and what he can become and I think that's where the draft starts right there at the first pick I lean towards Hutchinson but I wouldn't be shocked if Trayvon Walker is the selection yeah I mean this is the Jags we're talking about at the top of the draft you know (laughs) it it would would it be a surprise for them to turn away for a sure thing to go for the guy with sky high athletic upside it would not be. It would not be crazy at all. And I, I look at that decision too, man. We're not even talking about Kayvon Thibodeau in that discussion whatsoever, the pass rusher out of Oregon. And he was kind of that consensus guy going into the season where, oh, this guy's going to be the first overall pick unless a quarterback really kind of emerges. Aiden Hutchinson was hurt towards the tail end of the 2020 season, balled out in 2021. And no one even knew who the heck Trayvon Walker was basically until midway through this season when George's defense was so dominant that he was just seemed like a role player on that defense. But I'm excited to get into this, man. And I guess we'll start with Aiden Hutchinson from the University of Michigan, man. You're talking about somebody who has one of the better pass rushing moves, I think, in this draft class with that double swipe inside move that he likes to use. What are some of the strengths that you liked a lot about Aiden Hutchinson's game and why you think he could be the first overall pick? Oh, man, I just like his whole game just all together. He's got the athleticism. He's got the explosiveness, the suddenness. He's got good agility, you know, maybe not freakish elite agility but still really good he can bend the edge he can take that inside move he can win with power he can win with speed he can win with technique the only thing Aiden Hutchinson really lacks are those super long arms that we've seen teams really covet basically since uh, Jason Pierre-Paul was drafted pretty much everything else about his game he I heard him referred to once as the lost Watt brother, and it really fits. You could see him kind of fitting in right there with J.J. Watt and T.J. Watt, just making all of the quarterbacks up in Wisconsin 
area, just very, very nervous. I've heard that as well, and I liked it. And Aiden Hutchinson, he's a big guy, man. He's six foot six. Like that's a tall dude, two hundred and sixty pounds. It's really, really good size. But you bring up, I feel like something that a lot of people aren't discussing as much, and it could be a reason why Trayvon Walker could go above him. And it's not just purely the insane athletic ability of Trayvon Walker. If you look at his spider chart on mock draftable, it's just wild. But it's those arms, man. He has sub 33-inch arms. His arm length, Aiden Hutchinson's, is 32 and 1 eighth inch, which is 7th percentile. And that means a lot when you look at somebody like Trayvon Walker, who has over 35-inch arms at the 95th percentile for the position. So I think it's just one of those interesting conversations that a lot of people are going to have. Another thing about Aiden Hutchinson, I don't think he has that elite type of bend. When we talk about bend in this class, how you can utilize the speed and the burst of your first three steps to get up the pass rushing arc, get into that outside shoulder of the tackle, and then bend through the contact. I mean, Hutchinson can do that, but I feel like there are better edge rushers in this class who have that specific skill set. And honestly, none of them are really in the top three or four to me. I feel like it's more of the Arnold DeBacchetti's from Penn State, the Nick Benito's from Oklahoma who really have that elite edge bend. Yeah, it is interesting that these top end guys, they they don't have that, again, kind of like Gumby like quality to use a Mayockism, where they can just get parallel to the ground and carry their speed at a 45 degree corner where they can just they almost look like they're defying physics going around. That's what really has made Von Miller as dangerous as he has been over the entire breadth of his career. Yes, he's a phenomenal athlete. He's a phenomenal technician, but his ability to, to bend having just ridiculously flexible ankles and maintaining contact with the turf going around the edge. Yeah. That is what really makes a speed ed rusher dangerous because if you can't keep your feet on the ground, you can't turn a tight corner. That's, it sounds simple to say, but you know, too often you see guys where they're running on the edge of their foot or you see them you know, just kind of lose their feet as they try to bend the edge. And that's basically a failed rush right there. Absolutely. And we saw it a little bit with this guy we're about to go over, but another bendy guy I wanted to acknowledge is USC's Drake Jackson. He's somebody else who I've seen flatten and, and do really interesting things at the top of pass rushing arcs. But one knock on Kayvon Thibodeau, the star pass rusher out of Oregon is that he can't necessarily bend. Now I understand the criticism because there were plenty of times, Chris, throughout his film where I felt like he got to that pass rushing arc using those first quick couple steps, ate into that shoulder, went to go bend, and then he feet just got tangled up and he fell. That happens once, twice. It's like, okay, maybe he just lost balance, but I felt like it happened more often than I expected, specifically with somebody who did such a good job putting himself in that advantageous position to begin with. But then there were a couple reps where I did see him flatten and get to the quarterbacks. Do you think that's a big issue with Kayvon Thibodeau or just a little issue? Because to me, it's not a huge deal, but it's something that I definitely took note of. I think it's something to be aware of. Like you said, something to take note of. It, I don't think it's necessarily a huge issue for him. And I think it's something he will probably work on at the next level. And it could be related to hand usage where you know, he is not taking the he's putting himself himself in a good position and then not really putting himself in a in position to take advantage of that position with his hand usage uh upsetting his center of gravity type situation yeah uh mark schofield did an awesome breakdown on Kayvon thibodeau for big blue view and 
basically came down to it seems like he's thinking his way through reps a little bit too much and too often as opposed to just yeah pinning his ears back and relying on his length relying on his athleticism and use just fully unleashing those as the weapons they are and allowing that to set up his moves as opposed to vice versa yeah, Thibodeau's interesting because if he ends up going to the New York Giants, I'm going to be happy. <laughs> like, I feel like there's, there's been this negative cloud surrounding Kayvon Thibodeau recently. But I don't – I watched this film, man. I, I never saw the the dogging it label that's been assigned to him. I think a lot of this is coming down to the comments that he, him and Joel Klatt had in that interview that he did back in January and a couple of the things that he showed throughout the pre-draft process, which I – can see why it would turn an NFL team off. But when I turn on his film, I don't see somebody who is doesn't care or isn't putting full forth the effort that he should. Now, I don't have the access to film like uh, Daniel Jeremiah and some of these other NFL analysts that claim this. But I wanted to ask you, because I know you watch a bunch of film. Have you seen Kayvon Thibodeau dog it at all? You know, not really. The, there can be some instances where like he is well out of the play. And yeah, you, it would be great to see him sprinting after the ball carrier or something like that. But realistically, his teammates are going to get there first. And the best thing he's going to do is arrive at a pile to stand there and not actually be able to do much. So it does make sense in those positions to try to conserve your energy a little bit and get ready for the next down. You know, I, I, don't really see him as, you know, dogging it too much. And, you know, let, let's be real. The NFL and sports in general, they like their players to behave a certain way. And players who kind of deviate from that, you know, be it being a little bit more outspoken or maybe even a little bit more thoughtful and frank about their just about various things, you know, whatever they happen to get happen to be asked about, that's going to turn teams off just because they start to wonder, well, you know, can I trust this guy in a press conference? Is he going to be a distraction? You know, that sort of thing. You know, it wasn't all that long ago that Prince of Mukamara dropped from a surefire top 10 pick all the way down to the Giants at, where is he drafted? 21st overall, something like that, because he has a dry sense of humor. And, you know, coaches weren't <laughs> sure how that would play in a locker room or Myron Roll went from being one of the top safeties in the, in his draft class to basically being run out of the NFL because he is a brilliant man who wanted to do medicine after the NFL and was clear that, you know, he had plans for life after football. And, you know, that that just didn't fly in the NFL. So, you know, I could see you know, Thibodeau being very upfront about saying, yeah, I know I have issues in my game. I know what they are. And teams kind of not liking a guy who is that upfront and that frank. At the end of the day, I don't think that he's going to fall out of the top 10. I don't think that's necessarily going to happen. I can even see him going to the Jets at four. And I think another player who could end up going to the Jets, it's more than likely at 10. But I wouldn't be shocked if he goes at four. And that's Jermaine Johnson out of Florida State, somebody who went the JUCO route to college, ends up going to Georgia, playing two years there, and then transferring out of Georgia to go to Florida State, where he had one phenomenal season there, went down to the Senior Bowl, absolutely killed it down there. And he's had one of the best pre-draft process that we've seen in a while. And you watch him down at the Combine, too, man. He's doing really well in movement drills. 
I really like Jermaine Johnson's game. What do you think about him, bro? Jermaine Johnson is an interesting guy for me. And yeah, uh, pro football focus, a source we don't reference a whole lot here, especially when it comes to draft prep. But yeah, they released a chart of the players, the edge rushers, and when in the course of a snap they win. You know, basically a second and a half to two seconds, two seconds to two and a half seconds, uh, two and a half seconds to three seconds, and then three seconds beyond. Jermaine Johnson was the only guy, the only top edge rusher to have a a 0% win rate, you know, to get a sack or a pressure or anything like that at two seconds or less. And he only had 16% of his sacks pressures come at two and a half seconds or less. And then the other 84% were split between two and a half to three seconds and then three seconds and beyond. So like, when you watch Jermaine Johnson on tape and you see him at the combine, the athleticism just leaps off the field at you. He's got a great burst. He's really twitchy. He's got the length. And over the course of a rep, you can see him throw out a pretty good variety of moves, but he never really pins his ears back and just gets after guys. And I think that's kind of what shows up in that PFF chart. And yeah, we were talking before the before we started recording, and you said you kind of saw a lot of the same things from him. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Yeah, when it comes to Jermaine Johnson, I didn't see somebody who like there's the burst is there, but I didn't necessarily see someone who was consistently winning off the jump, like say a Boye Mafe or an Arnold Ebiketti, who Arnold Ebiketti probably has the best of this PFF chart. He probably looks the best coming off the start. And that was obvious on his film. I thought of David Ajabo was somebody else who on his film looked very explosive. He's somebody else who could also flatten at the top. We didn't bring up a little bit earlier. Nick Benito, although like Jermaine Johnson to me is a much more complete and better pass rusher than a Nick Benito is. But at the same time, Benito has that quick twitch and that quick get off thing. I like most about Johnson is the complete package of what he can do with the burst that he does have combined with his hand usage. And then the power element and the ability to convert the speed that he does have to power, which is something that I feel like he does very, very well. I think he's deceptively powerful. Is he George Carl Loftus? Maybe not, but he's a better athlete overall in terms of pass rushing than a Carl Loftus is. Before we, while we were talking, before we started recording, you asked me if I thought that was kind of a, the lack of the real early in down production, the fat, the fast speed production, is that a 
you asked me if that was a Jermaine Johnson thing or a Florida State thing. Yeah, personally, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure if that was you know, him kind of trying to sort out an, a fully open playbook and not wanting to over-pursue, wanting to stay disciplined, or if it was just coaching points from for- Florida State where they want to play the run on the way to the football. And I'm curious to see what you think of it. Well, I think there were elements of both. I think there were times where he would get sacks and it was him playing the run, like the sack against UNC where Sam Howell tries to extemporize a little bit. And then he, at first you can see, I believe on that rep, Tremaine Johnson kind of uses a stutter, looks, sees that it's a pass, and then he goes full force up the pass rushing arc and gets Sam Howell to step back up in the pocket. But then you have those plays against Miami where it was like a third and 15 sack and then another third and 15 sack. Those plays he was painting his ears back. Some of them, the one he turned the dude around like in a spin cycle type of situation where the tackle got spun around and he ended up getting a strip sack. Then the other one, he was stopped initially and it was more of the the quarterback was extemporizing a little bit and then he ends up getting the sacks. So I kind of think, man, there is a little bit of element to sometimes he wins a little bit slower than than you would like. And well, some of these plays too, to be fair to Jermaine Johnson, there's a tight end chipping, there's a running back chipping. It's not just him against a tackle on an island. Yeah, and I think that's that is a real interesting process that teams are going to have to go through. Just sorting out what is him is, what is, what are the artifacts of Jermaine Johnson's play that are attributable to him, and what is what was coaching points, and you know, can they get that quick twitch out of him to be a consistent speed rusher to you know, pressure NFL quarterbacks real quick, which is what you need to do because. If you're pressuring late in the down, you're putting an awful lot on your secondary. Say you you also brought up a few other you know pass rushers, kind of like that second tier of guys. Or yeah, I suppose second tier is fair because we can. I think we can kind of leave David Ojabo off to the side right now, just because of you know ruptured Achilles. We don't know what the future holds for him. He's got a supposedly a very quick timeline to get back on the field, but. You know, we don't know what he will look like. We don't know how long until he is 100%. So I think it's fair to leave him off to the side for now. But you brought, brought up Arnold Ibikide. Uh You brought up George Karloftis. You brought up Nick Benito. Uh, uh, Boy Mafe out of Minnesota. So, you know, that is right there. Another group of players who, honestly, I could see all of them starting in at least the correct situations. Honestly, Chris, I think Ebiketti might be my target for pick 36. And I think I'm going to like some of them safeties that are around, but I think he would make a really good pass rusher in Wink Martindale's scheme. He's, what, like 6'3", I believe, maybe like 6'2 and a half or 6'2 and three-fourths, about 250 pounds, has solid long arms, 34-inch mark around there. I don't have the numbers in front of me. But you want to talk about someone who shot out of the cannon, who has a really, really quick, explosive first step, and who has just a variety of pass rushing moves. Sometimes he goes inside maybe a little bit too much, which won't be as reproducible at the next level unless he really has a tackle out on an island. But I feel like he has the deceptive pass rush and the stutter and the footwork to get those hips of the tackles manipulated. I like Epichetti a lot, and I think he could be an impact player. And if the Giants, and I just did a mock draft on Big Blue View, if they came away with Evan Neal, Sauce Gardner, and Ebiketti for the first three picks, would you not be ecstatic? I think I think that would be a pretty excellent haul for the first three picks. Yeah, I'm with you with Ebiketti. I I really like him. 
I actually liked him more than I thought I was going to when I really dug into his film. You know, I, I love the first step. Uh, I've actually got his uh, profile up in front of me right now. Six, he's 6'2", 250, 34 and an eighth inch arms, 10 and a quarter inch hands. And you talk about that first step, a 38 inch vertical and just under 11 foot broad jump, a, a 10 foot eight broad jump. So yeah, he is compact. He has a low natural center of gravity, but he has that length and just a super explosive lower half. And that really does show up in his game. And I like the fact that he can play kind of any alignment and stance you want. You know, he can line up in a three-point stance or a four-point stance. So you could play him in a seven technique, a wide nine technique. You can play him out of a two-point stance as a rush linebacker. He can drop into coverage, although... I'm not sure that's what you want him to be doing. And he can win a bunch of different ways with power, with speed. He can, he has enough technique, I think to win that way early on. And he is, he has that violence to his game where, you know, some of these other guys, they don't play with quite the same edge that Ebiketti does or George Karloftis, who those two guys are kind of similar, I think. They're similar, but in my mind, they're completely different at the same time. Like in their play styles. I don't know if you agree. Yeah, no, that that's actually, they're the same, but different. That, that, that's actually kind of a good way to put it. Because, you know, Karloftis, he is, he is all violence. He wakes up in the morning and chooses violence. Yes. He, very explosive, <laughs> he but, a, but a very linear a- athlete, I think. Yeah, he's he's definitely not as bendy as Arnold Ebiketti. But I will say he had this rep, Karloftis, this is where it was against Iowa and he got into the outside shoulder of the tackle and he bent and flattened very well to kind of turn on a really, really tight angle to get the sack, which is something that I feel like isn't necessarily prevalent in Carl Loftus's game. Like you said, he's more of a linear athlete and he definitely possesses all the power that you want in an edge rusher, but it's when you have to, you know, soften those angles at the top of the pass rushing arc, can you do it? And he didn't do it all that often. But that one play against Iowa, I don't know if you if you know which play I'm talking about. I think he had multiple sacks in that game. I felt like he did a really, really good job flattening and then just kind of tilting his upper body around his lower body and getting both hands on the quarterback and then just throwing the dude to the ground. And then as for Ebiketti, just one more note on him. He was also a transfer. It was more of a one-year production at Penn State. He played at Temple before he arrived there. So that's something that could ward people off. If they just see the one-year production, but it's one-year production at a Big Ten school. Another player, though, another Big Ten pass rusher, since we're talking about a lot of them, is Boye Mafe. And I don't think Mafe's as developed as Arnold Ebiketti, but he has that same type of twitch and athletic ability and that burst and that first few steps up the pass rushing arc. I really like the idea of Mafe at 36. I think I prefer Ebiketti and I think Mafe actually might go before Ebiketti because Mafe is just a little bit thicker, a little bit bigger, and maybe a little bit more explosive, but I kind of want to get your take to see what you think. I could see that, you know, we, we've seen in mock drafts, you know, big national level mock drafts, Mafe kind of creeping into the first round, especially after the injury to Ojabo. It seemed like that kind of kicked Jermaine Johnson and Boya Maffey up a spot, just kind of almost de facto moved them up instead of just, you know, mock drafters go- picking for different guys. They just moved on to the ne- the next guy at their depth chart for that, at that edge position. Yeah. Yeah. Maffey, he, he's a little bit of a, a twitchier, springier athlete. I like both of these guys. And again, they're kind of the same, but different. 
I'm not going to say Boye Mafe will be Khalil Mack, but I kind of got that vibe from watching him where he is just like a coiled spring the whole way through. And it it almost gives the appearance of stiffness, but he isn't stiff, if that makes any sense. Yeah, we're, we're, we're doing a lot of, uh, I don't know, almost trying to have things both ways in this in this conversation. I'm not trying to have things both ways, but I, I, I see what you're – you're talking about to me, it, it's not that he's stiff, it's that he hasn't developed the hand usage quite yet to maximize maybe that bend to the arc. Because a lot of the times when people are bending to the arc, they need to set that up. They need to set that up with either a double swipe or a violent chop in order to get that inside arm underneath the outside shoulder of the, the offensive tackle to basically land that rip move. So the rip move is kind of one of the best ways to win the edge because then you land that rip move, you kind of raise yourself which is going to raise the center of gravity of the tackle and put you in an advantageous situation. You don't see a lot of that from Mafe on film. You see a little bit of it, but I think if he can employ that more, then he can unlock the bend that I think he does possess, but we just don't see it all that often because I think he's a little bit raw with the pass rush plan. Yeah, and that actually goes back to what we were talking about with Kayvon Thibodeau, where yeah, they, these guys, they, they just need to get better in using the tools they have to set themselves up to unlock their entire toolbox to win late in the rep and be able to finish the plays without their feet going out from underneath them and win the edge, bend the arc and finish on the quarterback. You know, it it really is kind of an art form (laughs) a lot more, or at least as much as an athletic endeavor where you have to think multiple moves ahead. And there aren't a whole lot of, pass rushing prospects who have that worked out immediately coming out of school. That's the thing they need to work on throughout their, you know, first year, first couple years in the NFL before they can really explode. Mafe had this sack against Wisconsin where it wasn't a rip move, but it was a stutter step and he got the tackle to just kind of frame him up, got the tackle's feet stuck in the mud, tackle goes to punch, and then he just swats the outside arm. And once you do that, the tackle's momentum goes forward and he has that quickness to just kind of slip his inside shoulder right around. He doesn't land a rip move or anything like that, but he doesn't have to. But you can see how tightly he turns and how he doesn't lose any sort of balance or body control in in his turn around that trash that was all by him, like the tackle, essentially. And then he closes into the pocket and sacks the quarterback on the play. And that's stuff that he does. That's stuff that I like to see. I think Drake Jackson has a similar type of skill set in the sense that he's very explosive. I don't think he's as physical as Boye Mafe, but he does have... I would say a little bit more of those wow type of plays in terms of smoothness in his pass rush ability. Like he landed a ghost technique. I I can't remember against who it might've been against UCLA where he goes to rush and a ghost technique is where it's a Von Miller special. You go to pretend like you're going to land a long arm. And then instead, when you go to show your long arm, the tackle goes and punches to embrace for that. And then you take your long arm away and then you just dip your inside shoulder right underneath the punch and flatten and then just go right into the quarterback. Drake Jackson did this and he didn't get a sack on the play, but that's a very, very hard pass rushing move to pull off that requires excellent timing, quickness, and just an overall smooth nature. And I feel like Drake Jackson has all those things. It's just he's not the most physical dude out there, but he's also somebody who can put weight on. He can drop weight and I feel like he can fit into whatever system once he's there. Players that not a lot of people are talking about who can be like a third round pick end up being a steal might not be great against the run quite yet, but definitely has pass rushing upside. 
Yeah, I was just thinking that. It's like you don't see anybody talking about Drake Jackson. Yeah, he was getting a fair amount of buzz towards the end of the season. You know, I would say maybe people looking at him as kind of a second rounder, a guy who might push himself up into that high second round area, but then he just kind of disappeared, which I think that's just because of the insane depth of this draft class. And you've got guys like, you know, Trevon Walker stepping up and, you know, people finding out what kind of athlete he actually is. And Boye Mafe. And then even having Jermaine Johnson stepping up. And Drake Jackson has kind of gotten lost in the shuffle. And he's not the only one. You you mentioned Nick Benito before. And also uh, a guy we haven't talked about yet, at least not lately, is uh, Kingsley Anigbari out of South Carolina. And yeah, the thing that's really interesting to me is those are the top two guys on that PFF chart for winning in two seconds or less. Uh, Nick Bonito had 15% of his uh, sacks or pressures in two seconds or less, and Enigbari had 15% in two seconds or less. That's a lot. You know, that is winning really, really fast. But those two guys, honestly, they couldn't be more different. <laughs> I was just about to say that, man. Benito is definitely a much smaller type of quick twitch type of pass rusher, whereas Enigbari doesn't necessarily strike me as that type of guy. And I haven't watched an extensive amount of Enigbari. I've seen a decent amount of Benito. So if you want to explain to the audience how Enigbari wins so quickly, be my guest. At least to my eye, he was he's kind of a straight ahead power rusher. Yeah, you know, he is big he's long he's very very strong you know that's the thing we saw at the at the senior bowl where he got matched up on oh i oh who was it he got matched up on uh was it darian Kennard? he got matched up on in that one call out session before a practice and anyway he uh angbari got low he got his hips behind his pads and he just moved the guy who was in front of him back about 10 yards and it was really impressive but with Enigbari you you just don't see that kind of quick twitch that you see from players who normally do win very fast like you know my notes on him have him as you know he's long he's strong he's really good at run defense he's really disciplined but yeah his biggest weakness is that quickness. So I, I'm honestly kind of not sure how he had that many pressures that quickly. <laughs> you know? I, from the little bit that I have seen, and you're right, man, I did not see somebody who was overly explosive or overly sudden. I feel like he used a lot of stutter steps combined with, I would say, very, very precise hand usage to create separation. And a lot of it was off that swim move, man, because he would stutter. He would land the quick just chop or whatever you want to call it, stun move with his outside arm to keep the momentum of the tackle in place and then just follow it up with a swim move. And usually he created pretty good separation there. And there was this one play against Troy where I remember he did this, and he's not somebody that I feel like is overly bendy in his lower half, but he landed that move uh, against this Troy tackle, and then I watched him basically just grab grass which when I mean by grab grass is you get so low that your arms are basically at the grass and you're just bending so much through your ankle and your hip joint where you're basically grabbing grass and flattening to the quarterback. And I was pretty shocked to see that because I don't think of Enigbare as an overly bendy dude. What about you? No, not really. But he's another guy where you do see the flashes of it. And it, it does help, I think, that he has some good natural leverage. Again, he's kind of like... Epikite, where he's 
relatively short. He's like uh, six three, uh, six three and three quarters, but he's got almost thirty five inch arms. So he has that prototypical length, but he's got natural, natural low center of gravity, natural leverage. And I think that he does use that very well. Like he, he does use his hands well and he does set himself up to succeed. And I think that initial jolt followed by the hand usage you were talking about is what kind of puts him in position to win quickly. Now, Nick Benito, he absolutely is quick. He is twitchy. He is bendy. Actually, my favorite thing I know, I've noticed about him was how well he played in space. Yeah, Oklahoma dropped him in coverage a fair bit, and I think that actually did help him win quickly because offenses could never quite be sure if he was going to come or not, and that gives him the advantage. Yeah, he, I saw that a lot, and I saw a lot of his pressures were off that, and this doesn't necessarily substantiate the fact that he won so quickly, but there were times where he was just you know, an outside linebacker in the flat, and the quarterback rolls out to his side, and he would get a pressure in that manner, or he would get a sack in that manner, and I felt like a lot of his production was like that, but that doesn't necessarily jive with what this chart from PFF says. It just was an observation I had when kind of mulling over his film, but before we get out of here, man, I want to ask you about a couple more dudes. Have you seen... Majai Sanders and what are your thoughts on him because I feel like he's an interesting person to kind of think about when we're talking about Wink Martindale scheme yeah I I like Majai Sanders I I think he kind of has had a rough go of his draft process he got sick before the scouting combine and he was clearly not himself like when you look at Sanders on tape at 2020, 2021 for Cincinnati, he is, you know, athletic. He is versatile. He is twitchy. He can do kind of whatever you want. Yeah, maybe not the best run defender, but when it comes to pressuring passer, you know, pressuring passers, he can win in a in a bunch of different ways. He can win with a win with power and a bull rush. Yeah, I saw him make pretty good use of a push pull and forklift moves off of that bull rush, but then he can also win with speed and he is a guy who seems to have a good idea of how to rush with a plan and to how to set blockers up and train them to expect certain moves and then go with a counter off of those but then at the combine he did not work out as well as people were expecting he came in at like 228 pounds it turns out he lost about 20 pounds due to illness he's gained it back but yeah he was clearly not at his best. And I think that kind of, that has kind of derailed the hype train around Majai Sanders. Yeah. I think that's a fair assumption that you just made because he was somebody I heard a lot about being mocked at like 36 in the beginning of the process. Now you don't even hear about him at all, but you turn on the tape and there are, there are a couple flashes there, but Chris, before we get out of here, man, any other edge rushers you want to bring up that kind of catch your eye? You know, I can't say he's caught my eye because I haven't had a chance to dive into his film. But a guy I think we both have had a, have had our interests peaked by is Amari Barno out of Virginia Tech, where, yeah, he's small. I think he's like, what, 6'2", 6'3", and in, in the 230s somewhere. But man, talk about blazing speed. You have a 4'3", as an edge rusher some defensive coordinator is going to figure out how to use that. 
Yeah, absolutely. Barno, that's a good call. And I have yet to watch Virginia Tech's defense. One name I wanted to bring up, see if you watched him, was Michael Clemens out of Texas A&M. I think, feel like he's the perfect defensive end in an even front. And I just have this feeling that he's going to be a Dallas Cowboy. <laughs> yeah, that, that fits. You know, I haven't watched him specifically yet, but you kind of can't you can't not see him with with DeMarvin Leal there. You know, you're you're going to catch at least a few glimpses of him and and you're right. He does look like the kind of player the Cowboys love to pick. He's just very strong, man. Just very very strong. I felt like he rose to the occasion in some of the big games that I did watch Leal. I just kept being like, "Who the heck is number 2?" and I ended up writing an evaluation on him. I think he's another one who can convert speed to power, is more flexible than you probably imagine. He's like 270 pounds, very very long, powerful, stout, good run defender. Uses his hands well. I think he's one of those guys who is going to be selected a little bit later on in the draft that that could be an impact player and unfortunately he's probably going to have a star in his helmet. <laughs> Yeah, that, that just seems like a thing that's going to happen. Yeah, unfortunately. But uh, this is the edge preview for the 2022 NFL draft here at Big Blue View. Chris, it's been great talking with you. Everybody, thank you for joining us. Please head on over to the website, Big Blue View. We're covering the NFL draft extensively, as well as the New York football giants. And please rate, subscribe, and review this podcast. If you don't like us, let us know, but please just leave a five-star review. That would be excellent. Thank you so much, everybody. Enjoy your days. Take care of each other. And let's go, Giants. First thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on home mom? No. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.